Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. Let's do it. And here we go. Great to be back with you once again. This is Matt Chatham on the Real Thing Patriots Podcast. I'm your host. I'm going to be with you here for throughout the duration of this thing, plowing through another fun week. This is I, t- I tell you guys this every week, and it's authentic. It's real. It's what I feel. I enjoy this as much as anything I do in media each and every week because I, you know, I get to do a lot of research to lead up to it, and then just kind of chat. Uh, you know, kind of answer a lot of the things you guys are thinking, stuff that arose in the game previously, stuff that I think that'll that'll come up in the next, and uh, occasionally on, on an unusual week like this one, there's enough off the field weirdness uh, that you know I think warrants some attention to talk about during this particular show. We usually stick to what happened in the game before and what's going to happen in the next one. But there was enough, I think, off-field stories that are going to be relevant globally that we should talk about them. And first of all, obviously, that's the Gronk uh, suspension. Uh, so got to give my take off that off the, off the bat, not in the, the hot take world of takes, but just simply uh, my understanding of the situation and my view on it all. Uh, you know, some of that you get bits and pieces of through Twitter. Uh, but, you know, I think this gives me a little more... A little more ability to stretch and kind of let you know my total feelings on it. So, no, if there were to be a bias here of any kind for me, it would be more towards as being a defensive player, uh, as rather than the whole patriot or non-patriot kind of thing. So, as I see this a little more as a defensive guy, the kind of person who would have to cover Gronk, you know, that would have that in, impossible task of at the linebacker level of trying to keep that guy from catching passes, or even just the defensive backs who you know struggle with that clearly week in week out as well. So, yeah, I I certainly see. Uh, the standpoint if you know this is just team x and team y and that's tight end g or whatever uh, outrunning a route uh the, the 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 defensive back is clearly molesting gronk uh you know should have had three four flags thrown on him on the single play i completely understand the frustration with the player uh that gronk had but uh I think it was misapplied. I, I think the, the the issue here is pretty basic one that you can't go do what he did after, and that's not me wagging a finger at him as some former player and trying to be higher and mightier than thou. That's that's not what this is about. But I, I do think that you know because of the time that elapsed between the moment he was upset and the distance he traveled and the way that he hit him, the way he was down, it, it's pretty slam dunk. So you knew it was going to happen um, as a defensive player. You beat up a guy on a play, legally or not, you'd like to think that once the play is over, you can't be struck in the back of the head. So that's that's just pretty basic stuff. So, uh, you know, I think the league uh, – so here, we'll go into what I, I think was the greater issue here, which is clearly that Gronk is being officiated differently than every other player in the league at his position, which is asinine. So, And I think people really get lost in the weeds of this point, but it's not that complicated. It really, really isn't, people. There are two separate issues at play, whether or not – Despite the level of frustration or anger, rightfully, you know the fact that the anger is 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 rightfully there. What can you then do with the anger? You can't do what he did. 
That's issue A, separate side, off to the side. But I think there's an accountability for the anger, but not an accountability for the act that lies with the league and the league's officiating crews because they're so incredibly consistent with this guy. He has his own set of NFL rules on on pass interference, on uh, illegal contact, on holding. Uh, And it's just a... A stated fact. If you wanted to pull up a hundred clips, we could do that. We could do PowerPoints for you all day long and do videos and show you that he's officiated differently. He has a, a higher bar uh, for himself uh, to draw a call and an extremely low bar for people to get calls against him. They, he touches them and they throw flags. There was a, there was a perfect example of that in this game. So what you saw from this guy was a very, very visceral, human, normal reaction post game. I'm talking about the, the overreacting and jumping on the, the back of the guy. But that's the reaction after the game was uh, seven years, as he mentioned it, of pent-up frustration about having his own set of rules. He's sick and tired of it. He should have directed, as I, I talked about, sort of the misapplied thing. I think his, his anger was sent to the wrong place. It shouldn't have been sent to the defensive back. It should have been sent directly to the officials. I'm not saying he should have hit them or, or struck them or anything, but to turn to them and say, what the hell? You know, to turn to them and maybe give them an earful. Hopefully don't draw a flag. Hopefully you do it under enough control. But we're at a point where there is accountability with the officials for the level of anger with the players. There's not a, an, an accountability level for what they do with that anger, but the idea that they're there's a bubbling volcanic sort of situation going on in the field is because they're not applying the rules correctly or consistently. That is a true fact. The other thing is a true fact. Both can simultaneously live alongside one another. And I think that's the biggest thing people get caught up on. If you point out that these officials are screwing up majorly uh, and and doing something is fundamentally unfair over and over and over again, it has nothing to do with bias. You can you can simply you know, put a white jersey on him, white helmet. It doesn't matter who team, what team it is. You can watch the defensive back hold, hang on, touch after five yards over and over and over again and have nothing happen to him. And then have the defensive back hit him or just get touched by him and get a flag. That's ridiculous. It's clearly a problem. Uh, you cannot have one player in the league with their own set of rules. That's asinine. The NFL is, claims to always be consistent. It's wildly inconsistent here. So that's, that's sort of my overall take. Gronk clearly shouldn't have done what he did. The league has a greater issue on its hands where I think that I think that crew should be downgraded. I think that crew should lose a national television, televised game. I think that crew should be out of the running for a playoff game. You know, I think Gronk got penalized for what he did. Um, they have to internally, in my view, look at their crew and say, why in the hell is this guy so mad? He has no history of being mad like this. This guy, this guy is one of the good guys at the NFL. Plays hard, spikes the crap out of the ball, does everything the right way, blocks runs, is a team guy. He's just, this doesn't fit his personality. So clearly this has come to a head. Where's our accountability line in any of this? Now, they're not going to ask that question themselves. I don't have that kind of faith in them, but that's the question that rightfully should be being asked and is not. So why does a guy who has no history of this, who has never acted out anywhere near this in the course of the hundreds, if not thousands of reps he's taken in the NFL, why did he get to here? Well, because you guys aren't officiating the game correctly. So, and it's different to say, hey, I should have gotten a an offsides call there. Hey, I should have gotten a pass interference call there. It's a little different when another man is hanging on your back. And and this is something that a, a reporter, a fan, or someone out there doesn't have experience in this stuff may feel differently. You just don't react. You just don't. I mean, okay, great, cool. How about when you've got another man being a backpack on you 
hundreds of instances. It gets old. You know, it, at some point you explode. You hope you don't explode in the way that Gronk did. You can't explode in the way that Gronk did or hurt your team. But it is reasonable that at some point the volcano erupts. Um, and it erupted the wrong way, in the wrong direction. But it's reasonable that it did. And you need to fix the source of the problem. The source of the problem isn't Rob Gronkowski being an out-of-control player. He's not. So the you have to look at what's the real source of the problem. Gronk is being officiated incorrectly, wildly unfairly. And that is a problem. they got to fix it. I don't suspect they will. Uh, we'll move on here into the game, into some other things that, well, excuse me, not into the game. We've got one other sort of off-the-field thing to hear down here before we move forward, and that is tackling technique, which, you know, has been one of my little, you know, spur in my boot thing or whatever, and I'm not a Western dude. I don't know why that metaphor came forward. But anyway, it's something that's always aggravated me, and, and it's this this notion of Twittering uh, tech. Twittering tackle technique. <laughs> you know, this guy should just do that. This person should stop leading with their head. This guy should just do it like the old rugby guys do. This guy needs to just do this. This evil man and his tackling is trying to hurt someone, blah, blah, blah. So the Ryan Shazier thing is terrifying, right? As a player, you're terrified that and you, I've been through so many collisions in my old career that, you know, where you really get a good one that sort of reverberates down your spine and you kind of get a tingly feeling all over and it's like, okay, I survived that one. And you do that to other people and, you know, this these, these sort of rushes go through your body, but you never like the idea of you put a great one on somebody and something snaps. That's really friggin' scary. Doesn't matter who the guy plays for, doesn't matter, you know, if you like him or don't like him or whatever, you pray for the guy immediately because that's the that's the fear that's in the back of all players' heads. We we get in these car crashes, you don't want something like that to happen. Now one of the things that people point to, and it, and it's rightfully so, and I think it, it it introduces a much broader, more important conversation uh is into how Shazier got injured. He got injured because his head was down, not the leading with the head portion. Leading with the head is one of the stupidest phrases that gets repeated in, in sort of, you know, fan circles, writer circles, NFL circles, analyst circles. Even the occasional player will fall into the trap of using that phraseology, and it's asinine. The, and I, I, again, it's just hard to do on podcasts, so I will, I'll try to spend less than 60 seconds on it. But you can't, you, the, the idea that you would create a phrase about, leading with the head when you tackle from a leveraged lean forward position with the head that's the first thing on the body most people's heads are you know whatever it is 12 inches 18 inches from neck to shoulders whatever it is but it's a big old thing with a giant helmet on it that when you lean forward it's always there it's not a choice to lead with your head you lead with your head because that's what god put there and you know, that's just, just how it is. So we need to stop this sort of did he or did he not lead with his head? The example I always use to use it on Twitter, think of a pane of glass. Think of just one of these planes in the universe uh, that would just go from, from earth to, to heavens. And the idea of if you lean forward into a good tackling technique and your head not being first, you would have to torque yourself so many degrees sideways before the tip of that pad actually surpassed as first the ear hole of the helmet if you're turned or maybe up in that sort of temple area. It's so dramatically different. You, even when you try to go shoulder first, at least on a sort of a straight plane level, the helmet even then is actually typically first. And again, this is why I say it's chance because whether or not it hits... Uh, the ball carry kind of depends on what he does. And you're looking away from him because we came up with this whole nonsense idea of getting the head out, which the getting the head out movement 
does this. It drops people's heads and puts them in a much more dangerous spinal position. It's a fact of life. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. I got a ton of experience with this myself. When you tell people to get the head out and turn with their shoulder, the momentum, the inertia, the body weight, trying to balance themselves as they go into these tackles. You see guys that turn and do shoulders, never do turn and shoulders with their head up. It's one or the other. It's a choice. It's turn and do shoulder. And when it's the tip, the head goes down. Always. Not because guys are bad, not because guys refuse to do techniques, because it's virtually physically impossible to consistently at full speed do that. If you want to turn, get the head out attempt, heads drop. They always drop. It's so hard not to have them drop at full speed. And what does that do? Yeah, sometimes you end up with the crown and you get the compression thing and then you get a back snap like like Shazier has. So it's it's been one of my biggest aggravations. I know I just went long on that. Because this is something that players experience a lot in the NFL, just in, in professional football as a whole, maybe even at the college level. But where you have competing forces, competing medical forces trying to argue amongst one another, a chiropractor is going to tell you and advise you based upon everything that is skeletally is that a word? For the skeletal system, the stuff that helps your bones best, right? The, 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 he's all about alignment and what will best help the bone structure. You, you know, you're, you're going to go to a body mechanics guy or a dude that does like the fluid movement stuff or the soft tissue stuff. They believe that everything that is in life that can be cured has to do with the, the, the muscles, you know, and any of the, the attachments and the ligaments and all that stuff. So they're going to always make suggestions based upon what they feel is best for the soft tissue, right? You know, and then now that we're in this situation where, well, there's another portion of this, obviously the docs, the hardcores, the are the, you know, the doctors that are in there that are giving you advice, they're thinking, you know, the heart, you know, the lungs, the vital organs, uh, the spinal cord, which is where the paralysis, paralysis stuff happens. The Daryl Stingley's, the, the stuff like that, where, you know, snap on a spinal cord because you've made recommendations that you think are Erroneously, will help the brain by you know this these technique recommendations that are now meant to protect protect brains actually put the spine in a passive position in a spot that you're more likely to have your head down and have something coming at you at full speed. So this idea of turning and leading with the shoulder. It takes people's eyes out of the equation. It almost always does. You can teach them other try to not do it, but at full speed, it's unreasonable. It's unlikely. You've seen it thousands and thousands of, of times. The people that are trying to do this t- shoulder turn thing, their heads are down. Just watch. Turn on the film. It's almost always that way. If you want their heads up, which is great, heads up football, blah, 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 heads up football, but then also tells you to turn. You can't have both. can't have it both ways. No cake can eat it too. So the idea of heads-up football is a good idea. But you know what happens in heads-up football? The face mask leads the tackle. It sits in the in the little V between the shoulder, between your clavicle and the side of your head. So you get ear hole and shoulder pad. There's going to be a, a dispersed force between those two parts. That's the best and most safe way to tackle. Yes, the head gets hit a little, but it's impossible to keep the head out. Watch a play. Just count throughout the day how many heads hit. Not because people are being bad or egregious or you know, head reckless. It's just because it's first on your head and it's got a giant implement over the top of it. It's going to get contacted. But when you do the force dispersion thing where you aim for that little V uh, between the, the, the pad and helmet, you, you, you half the forces. They go into your shoulder pad. There's a little bit of flexion through the side of the head, but at least the head is up in a safe position. It's not face mask only, not the old face in the fan thing, but it's in that little area. And it's honest to God, the safest friggin' way to do this. The people that suggested 
turning sideways, trying to get the tip first. They don't understand because their only concern is try to figure out a way to get the brain from being contacted. They put your spine in a worse spot. They put your shoulder and your AC joint in a worse spot. You don't want all the forces against a tip that's out that far away from this body center line. Why? Drive a car and go have collisions with the doors open. It's going to rip the friggin' door off, right? There's a reason your body's made as it is strongest down the middle, right down the spinal column, right down sort of your densest structural muscle stuff. That's where you're strongest. You've got strong neck muscles. You've got ways that are built to help you absorb these car crashes and you know yes they're going to say every little force in the brain is a negative thing then you can't play football that's just it you cannot play football if the resolution here was to save the brain to put you in unsafe spinal positions well then it's a stupid suggestion it's not a medical it's not a it's not a sound piece of medical advice because you're going to have guys paralyzed so that they could have invented uh, prevented you know helmet head forces the helmet head forces are happening anyway, guys. Look around. It's already happening. So don't give me poor medical advice that only accounts for one. And it's yes, I get that the brain is the most important one. Well, actually vital organs. I'm sorry. You could you lacerate a spleen or you you blow up your heart or you know, break ribs that per- pierce a lung, things like that. That can get serious just like a brain as well. But at least your brain has protective equipment. At least your brain has some other uh, defenses for it. Now, this may not be popular. The brain people come in and say, no, we just have to somehow get the head out. Well, okay, you can't do that, right? Boxing. It's like imagine if we, we were to go into boxing and say, okay, no more punching in the head. So who's going to go watch? How realistic would it be to, to box for an hour and a half, 10 rounds, whatever, 12 rounds of body shots? I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. It doesn't work that way. And because we've created this game, 100 years ago, whatever it was, of professional tackle football. We're humans with heads in front. When we when we get into a tackling position, when we lean forward and aim for leverage against another human being in front of us, our heads are first. They're first, they're first, they're first. Stop saying lead with. Lead with is not a choice. It's a physical reality. All right, I've said enough on that. There's my, my soapboxing. Um, but in re- regards to the Shazier, the reason he's now having the, the unfortunate issue he's having is because his head was down. And if you would tell Ryan Shazier, hey, we're not going to penalize you if your head is up and your face mask, yes, contacts the guy, but you know it, it contacts him safely with the head up and the forces dispersed between the shoulder and side of helmet, well, that's okay. But now we're, we're, we're bean counting every time a helmet clicks another helmet, and that's absolutely ridiculous. Those positions Ryan Shazier are in are, uh, are encouraged by this new movement of dropping the head and turning the shoulder. Now, his crown ends up down, which is an especially dangerous position. And people that are going to rebut what, I, what I'm saying will say, no, 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 no one ever told him to get him in that spot. Well, here's what you do to alleviate that. Let him know that he can get his head up. And just because the head may contact something, it is not inherently wrong or illegal. You alleviate that problem in a minute. But if you tell someone, hey, if your head hits them in a certain spot, then you get these guys dropping their heads. You watch the defensive backs tackle. Watch safeties come flying in, cornerbacks. Their heads are dropped just like Ryan Shazier's all the time. One of these days, and I'm not knocking on wood here as we do this show, I don't want this to happen. I don't want to be right on this. But you are... We're heading down a road where a defensive back is going to get paralyzed. He's going to do this dropped head thing, and his head's going to go into a knee or a thigh pad or something on a thicker offensive lineman trying to cut someone or a big old tight end. And if you'd have just told him, hey, it's not 
inherently evil if one's helmets touch one another. That's why we've got these pads on. I know it's bad for the brain. Then make the choice of don't play. Okay. But if you tell them they're not allowed to go high because of the fear that helmets will click, then what they're going to do is continue to drop their heads, aim for lower portions of the body. And in the unpredictable nature of football, something moves in front of them. Some secondary person comes in the pile and they're paralyzed for life because that is not a safe place, or a safe position for the spine. The best thing for the spine is to have the rigid next muscles and have your head up and be hitting with what you can see. Why? Because you can also then react to moving parts. I've said it a billion times. Humans are not squirrels. Humans are not deer. We do not have eyeballs on the side of the head. So when you ask people to drop their head, when you ask people to take their heads out, they can no longer see what's going on. And with inertia, the head is a really heavy thing, especially with a helmet on it, to keep up when you're leaning forward at a full speed moment, at a full speed rate. So anyway, that's the reality of the situation. I would I encourage debates on this issue because you will lose. <laughs> All right. So anyway, moving on here. Um Twitter questions. Now, this is my favorite part. So this is why today's show gets to be a little fun, a little different than others, because we do not need to spend 30 minutes talking about the Miami Dolphins. We do not even need to spend even a big enough chunk of time on the Buffalo Bills, because that was a bloodbath. It went as you expected. They ran the football. Uh, not, excuse me. It didn't go as you expected. It did go as you expected as far as a gap between the two teams, a 23-3 win by the Patriots. Um, it's gone a little different. It was more of a run-heavy game, uh, which has really been the theme here in the last two weeks in a row, which is great to see. But we will hyperanalyze Buffalo the second time we get them, much like we'll do Miami now on the back, and we could spend more time on the look for it because you get to see them again in reference to a previous time they played and in reference to where you think they may be this time. So the Buffalo stuff, anything that comes up in relation to the Buffalo thing, we'll use it here in the context of the Twitter questions, and a handful of them touch on them, so I get to go there. So Twitter question week, folks, let's dive in. Now, uh, donuts in pregame. This is obviously a joke. You want everyone out there knows that I've got this weird donut fetish i love them um but i'm a little bit of a you know i don't know a donut elitist if that's a word but i i i love my donuts uh and and the way this started is uh, i try to tell a quick tale here uh, as a rookie free agent undrafted guy in st louis in 1999 uh, the veterans in the room, the the Charlie Clemens, old dude from Ohio. Uh, I'm sorry, Charlie Clemens, uh, Lorenzo Styles, uh, London Fletcher is a younger player, but a stud, obviously. Uh, Todd Collins, I believe, was on that team too as I was a young guy. But a room full of vets, really good players. Leonard Little, good players, right? And their whole thing was a linebacker room. We had to get. Uh, What's it called? Krispy Kreme. And, you know, I'm in St. Louis, so middle of the middle of the country there, borderline south. I guess it's more middle, but anyway, Krispy Kreme was really big back in the late '90s, and we would have to go get boxes of donuts. It was the rookie's responsibility to provide the donuts to the linebacker room, and this was a kind of thing where you know the amount of calories you take in because you burn so many with the lift and the run and the practice, all this stuff, the day on your feet basically at the facility, you could get away, and I would do this eating a whole box of Krispy Kremes. <laughs> and I say that uh, because, you know, I think that's kind of how it got in me. In Iowa, we actually don't have a lot of, where I grew up, you don't have a lot of donuts. It's not like a huge donut culture like it is out here on the East Coast um, or even at South Dakota where I went to, went to college at the University of South Dakota. So donuts weren't a real big thing there. And neither is really coffee culture, quite frankly. It's not like there's Dunkin's on every corner like there is out here. Um, so I didn't really grow up like obsessed with that. But then I went to camp or I went to, you know, my first off season and training camps and all that stuff. And I had donuts every day. Now that said, what makes a Krispy Kreme great 
is that Krispy Kreme's the hot and fresh thing. Krispy Kreme, hot, gooey, warm, mm, just you can't beat that. But as soon as a Krispy Kreme donut becomes room temperature or normal, it's a way below average donut. In my view, kind of sucks, really. But you're, you're sort of the wonderfulness of it is just in the hot, gooey state early. Uh, but once a, once a box gets not warm and hot and fresh, those are, those are below average donuts. So this is, I'm, we're way off the rails on a football podcast here. But anyway, where this sort of fetish came in is that now I move out to New England and I am introduced to real deal amazing donuts. You know, uh, Olin's Bakery. Up there in uh, near Watertown, I think is it is it Watertown? It's it's near. It's maybe a couple miles from from uh, from the Nesson headquarters there in Watertown. It's not it's not actually in Watertown, but Olin's is one I really like. Oh man, Alley's Donuts down in Rhode Island. It just just you know they make me smile. They I, I just love them because there's a crisp. The oil they use is great. There's a crisp even after they've come to room temperature, and that's when you know you got a gold donut. A little bit of extra something there. A little bit of texture that remains even as time elapses. Good Lord, do I love Alley's Donut. And they have this really soft whipped sort of frosting where it's it's different than normal heavy cake frostings. It just has this airiness and lightness and perfect level of sweetness. Uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm obsessed with it. It's just, I'm a... I'm going overboard here a little bit with this, but the maple donuts down there uh, at Alley's are, you know, you guys come to my funeral one of these days, hopefully many, many years down the road, bring donuts, fill, fill up my casket. I love those. I also love, uh, I also love Cane's uh, and up in, you know, they're up in Saugus. Can't beat that. That is, you know, Alley's and Cane's sit tied in my view of just canes has that same texture win which you have to have that's so different for me an undercooked donut and and i don't like the overly opulent donuts i don't like the donuts where they want to put a friggin' candy bar on there or you know 17 different things i want to taste the donut and canes have some of the best pure donuts larger but with the texture great cake a lot of different variety there but i actually usually stray away from the ones where it's like you know if i wanted a snickers i'll go pay 99 cents and go to a convenience store you don't need to put a Snickers on my donut. I want to taste the base product. I don't want more than one or two different things on there. Their maple bacon is tremendous. Uh, they've got a handful of other ones I like as well, but I'm a big donut guy. There's also another couple really good ones I like down in Providence. That's Need Donuts. Need is really, really good. And uh, PV Donuts, PVD, PV Donuts. I love those guys as well. So those are my main haunts. I'm a big donut guy. I just spent way too much time on that question. Uh, but the answer is whether or not you can do them in the uh, in the uh, locker room is actually, yeah, you absolutely could. Uh, donuts in pregame, I, the only issue there is it's so many calories and they're so heavy and fat. You'd get the sugar rush for, you know, 30 seconds, no, 30, 30 minutes, I mean. You get a nice little buzz from the thing, big high sugar deal, and then it kind of sits like a rock in your stomach, which is no good. So I know that the, the Twitter question was facetious and meant to be a joke, but um, that's one of the things I probably stay away from. You go for the healthier, leaner stuff, uh, the, the pure the pure protein stuff or the uh you know the carbs they're a little healthier and less less uh less unhealthy so don't do that now harvey lang the next question here was about harvey langy longy is it Langy? i haven't said his name in a while it's harvey longy but it's spelled langy uh and his wife uh how are they doing i, I don't have personal information about that other than to hear that you know it, and this has been maybe a month since i've actually heard her address this topic but 
that he's going to be okay. It's not like this is a career ending or career threatening thing, at least as I had heard it. And to reiterate, I think I touched on this in Twitter, but I don't believe I talked about it on the show, but my wife and my kids came home late, I believe after a, a night hockey game uh, for my son. And we saw the accident uh, did not, didn't see it happen. We probably saw it within you know minutes of it going down. Um, and it was actually a moment where we were driving right by this place where I live, where there's actually maybe a dozen players that live nearby me uh, because we're in Foxborough and off close to the stadium. Harvey, I believe, and his wife were, were heading back to that area. They're, I believe they live in the same development. Uh, but anyway, um, we drive up. We're getting near it. We see all the ambulance. We see the, uh, I shouldn't say all the ambulance. I think it was one ambulance, police cars, a lot of backed up traffic. And you're like, what the hell happened? And it's late at night on a weekend. And you look over and we're like, oh, kids, cover your eyes, cover your eyes. You know, oh, don't look, don't look. And what I saw was that sort of, you know, jaws of life thing. Car cut in half, had to pull someone out. Didn't know it was longing or anything like that, or his wife just at the time thought someone may have died there. You know, I don't want my kids glancing over and seeing, you know, debris or bodies or anything like that. You know, you don't want to scar them. Uh, but, you know, that was a scary thing. And then I wake up the next day and I'm seeing all the messages about a Patriots player involved in an accident in Foxborough. I'm like, that was probably what that was. So then, you know, it just kind of came to me really quickly and then started asking around questions of the uh, reporters and what was going down. So I don't, I maybe I shouldn't have gone this deep into that that question because I don't have any sort of personal knowledge of where he's at now, other than to say, um, you know, you look at the edge stuff that they've got going on now with the team. This Eric Lee is now doing a really nice job on the edge. Uh, Derek Rivers, who was a really nice camp story a year ago, or you know, early in the, not a year ago, earlier in the season, uh, that they drafted. So you have Long. He looks like a find as an edge guy, as an undrafted free agent. Will probably presuming health be with this team for the duration of his rookie contract. He's, he's a nice find for the team. Uh, but then you also look at uh, Rivers. Looks gonna like he's gonna, you know he's got to come back from the ACL rehab and be the same guy, but looks like a player. And those two guys are completely independent of this new Eric Lee. Of of Van Noy is a potential guy out there. Is is uh, Flowers Trey Flowers being a great edge guy? Uh, really a guy that can play everywhere. But. I think the depth, uh, you know, even if you count Dietrich Wise, is a sometimes inside, sometimes out. The edge depth in this organization moving forward the next few years, really good, really good. And hopefully Harvey Longy is healthy and able to be a part of that. A question about Jordan Richards, just general thoughts of how he's doing. haven't noticed him a lot. And at the time, to be honest, when I, when I got this question, I wasn't able to go back and look, you know, look at every play he did and try to regrade him. I, I just simply didn't have the time for that, but I was able to flip back through my notes and just a couple positive comments where, Hey, you know, he's, I'd say the thing about him I noticed most is two attributes I give him that are really positive ones that I'm pretty sure that they like. He's a good on the ball defender. Uh, so if you're asking him to cover a tight end or you're asking him to cover someone who's over him, he's pretty good at that. You know, and he's actually a not tall guy, but he's long. He's got really long arms for his height and he moves pretty fluidly in man to man coverage situations. His tackling is probably the thing people would be most critical of. But that said, and, and, and right, you know, he missed some in camp. He got some more opportunities early in the season. Didn't go particularly well. It wasn't terrible. I think some of it was overstated, but you know, I, I think he's really sort of moved himself now as he hit later in the year into a role where he's a positive uh, contributor on special teams. He's someone they trust to have up every week. He's someone they trust on a more modest role of 10 to 15. Uh, that's just guessing a tennis uh, snap range kind of thing where he can come in. He'll do his job correctly. Um, you know, and he's not going to hurt you. Is he a star on this team? No. Do I see him becoming one? I don't like doing that. I don't know. I just haven't seen him. 
I don't see him in that kind of expanded role relative to the people have around him. They have other people that they, they prefer. But the one thing I will say about Jordan, and I, I think they like this part about him, he has sort of a gamer quality to him that he's, he's, you know, stripped a couple balls out. He's been around the football and made some things happen and he continues to improve. So I, I, I certainly wouldn't, you know, that's not some sweeping thing to say he's doing great or some sweeping thing to say he's struggling. It's just to say he's a positive part of this, you know, and he's probably in the size of role that's appropriate for, for who they think he is right now. Uh, moving up, and this is a funny question from Matt Miller, NFL, I think a draft scout. What does Matt have as his, as his Twitter handle? I could probably look this up as we're talking. But uh, Matt is, is a great dude here on Twitter that, you know, had some interactions back and forth with over the last couple of years. Really smart guy, really studies the crap out of uh, out of stuff, and doesn't really just shoot from the cup. And at NFL Drafts, Draft Scout, I'm sure most of you follow him. I follow him. He's a he's a great follow on Twitter. Uh, but you know, his question is to me kind of a funny one, and it it got me kind of thinking. If you could, if you his he's saying if you could square up and destroy one guy today in today's game, who would that be? And this this brought back a lot of memories, and I think I can ease, more easily tell you who I'd like in today's game by referencing people that I did get to tackle in uh, in the NFL when I played. And it's a different generation, man. I'm you know my last my last season on the field, my last time out there was 2008. So we're almost to the point where I'm a decade decade past. So there's only a handful of guys still in the league that I even could have conceivably tackled. I think Marshawn Lynch is one example, and I'll get to him later. Who I think one season of overlap uh, when he was in Buffalo. I think that's right. And I, I don't have any real vivid memories of him. But anyway, so some of the guys that I tackled that I got the most joy out of doing it, and they're heavy, and that makes it more of a challenge, is is guys like Jamal Lewis. Thick, dude. Thick legs, thick body. He thumps. But when you're talking about squaring up a guy and really blowing him up, I like the heavier ones because you want to win that battle, right? It's not as fun to hit a lighter guy because they just fly, you know? It's fun when you've got a challenge to where, you know, I've got 250-plus pounds of force. They've got 250 or whatever the hell it is Jamal weighs. Uh, those are the ones that feel good because there's a danger element to that. There's a If you don't bring it and you don't bring it at the right leverage, you'll go down, you know, or you'll get a stinger or you'll get – You'll get woozy, right? And again, oh, oh, head stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm making light of it. Not really. I'm just saying that's the reality of this game. The 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 feels the feels that go through you, the tingles. I like them. You live for them. Sorry, sorry to be honest, but you you, you like that stuff. And uh, uh, so you know, I really liked that the the ones that felt best is where you knew there was a big physical challenge. There's a there's a possibility you could go on your back. There's a possibility you could bounce off this guy. The ones where you went through it, he's coming hard, you're coming hard, and you win. That feels great. Lights up your body, tingles everywhere. Great stuff for me, Jamal Lewis. Eddie George, Eddie's a different kind than Jamal. Eddie's tall, 6'3"-ish, I think. Thin, big, skinny, big, if that makes any sense. He's obviously strong legs, bigger, you know, bubblegum muscle kind of stuff, like bumpy bumpy dude, but not like thick waist, you know. He doesn't feel as heavy, he just feels tall and strong. So it's a different kind of feel in your pads when you're hitting them. And, you know, I had a good game against him in a game that, I was able to start because of injury. I think Rabes was banged up when he had his his forearm thing, and I got Eddie down several times and some nice collisions with him. And that was that's extra fulfilling when you when you line up a guy like that that was an all time guy at Ohio State, a good pro with a long career, and he's bigger. Um, those are those are fun ones to knock down. Uh, Brandon Jacobs is another one. Man, dude, he's a truck. That dude's like two sixty, whatever it is, just as tall as I am. He's even maybe a few pounds heavier than I was at the time. When you hit Brandon Jacobs, it feels great. 
if he's if you're not going backwards. It feels great. When you square them up, it's kind of like two cars hitting one another, and then you see the cars hit, and they don't go anywhere. None of the forces are dispersed. They're all right there, transferred to the other dude's body, and you just both go to the ground in the pile. Uh, but when you get a good one on him, it feels good because you know how difficult it is to not go the other direction. Much the same way as if you give me a football and you let me run from fucking seven or eight, excuse me, <laughs> seven or eight yards deep downhill at a linebacker at my weight, yeah, I'm going to run over people too. So that's the big advantage that guys like Brandon Jacobs have. And uh, you got to respect him, you know, heavy dude, runs hard, can run a little bit as well. He was, uh, he was a beast, but the times that I was able to get him down, that felt good. Uh, one last one that I think might surprise you, Willis McGahee, because, you know, I think people look at him as maybe a thinner guy when he was a hurricane. You know, he had that gruesome leg break thing, but he's not like uh, an obvious uh, thumper necessarily i would categorize him someone who's i don't know if i got a ton of snaps and games against him when i was with the patriots but we played against him more when i was playing a few more defensive snaps in new york with the jets and i remember going against mcgahee a couple times and being surprised with how hard he hit surprised how hard he runs and surprised that i don't think of him as a 240 or 250 because i don't think he is i think he was like a 225 maybe a 230 back he's taller than i think people realize but he was one of the guys that even in pass pro and downhill running you're like a little bit shocked not because of the heaviness not this isn't a girth conversation like jamal lewis or or brandon jacobs or anything like that this is more the violence he brings isn't from body mass it's more from speed like he doesn't slow he goes through him that guy brings it so willis mcgahee getting him down a handful of times kind of lining him up that feels good because you you know you, you enjoy it when you get some forces going through yourself as well but then it also guy ends up down so my wish list here oh and i'll mention a couple from the the fullback side uh, because that, if you're going to talk about squaring a guy up and blowing him up, it's not necessarily just a tackle to the ground with a back. For me, that's the fullbacks, and that's that man, that's hard. So that's the ones where you know people who have neck issues later in life. That's from hitting fullbacks and guards, you know, at the linebacker position. But there's a couple out there that I got a lot of respect. One, first and foremost, Sam Gash. Sam was a you know like a, a T Rex. Now T Rex. What was the other one though? Rhino. The one that looks like a rhino. The one that's. Uh, Whatever the hell that is. Uh, I don't know. He's got that like thick plated neck and you just like, oh my lord, this guy's going to blow me up. Uh, uh, and uh, Stegosaurus, man, listen to me trying to do, trying to do, uh, science class here i don't know i don't remember my dinosaurs very well but he had sort of that metal heavy plated kind of look to him with a short neck and he'd he'd go down on you and bow and it's man it was just like being hit by a by a cannon blast every time with sam gash but uh got to play with against him with buffalo a couple times and you know those are real good feelings when you get one on him but he brings it he is he's a tough guy he was actually a coach of mine when when i was with the jets so i got a lot of respect for sammy uh mike sellers is probably one that maybe names out there people won't remember but mike sellers is a six three 270 pound fullback Mike Sellers was a load Mike Sellers is one of the the biggest bring it guys in all of football at the fullback position I remember we had each other in a preseason game and we'd, we'd bang before in other games uh, and we got against each other early in a preseason game and nobody wants to get injured in a preseason and I had a couple maybe you know an early couple big collisions with the guy either in the hole or in some downhill stuff and remember we both kind of gave it to each other and remember kind of looking and having sort of a little between play talk and he kind of looking at me and I'm kind of looking and going are we going to keep doing this <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like I'm shaking, you're shaking. Are we are we going to keep doing this? And then there was kind of funny. There was a couple snaps after that where he kind of dropped. You know, he's going to maybe go cut block or go low, or we'll both give shoulders as opposed to going square through them. And it was kind of those moments where it's like, yeah, man, I I got I got to do this 16 more season uh, games of the season. So do you. Let's not waste all our bullets here in in week one. But Mike Sellers is a guy I had a lot of respect for because of how much how heavy he is and how much he likes to run through blocks and bring it as well. So my current example would be Marshawn Lynch. I love because I just respect how hard the guy runs and I know I've seen guys who I know tackle well who I know are huge hitters struggle to blow through him so to get him lined up get him perfect and win one with him going straight through and putting beast mode on his back that would be a great feeling don't know if I could do it you know but I would love to try hitting was something I was I was good at and uh you know I do have a little weight advantage on him there but you gotta do perfect technique if you just try to outbuck the Broncos sometimes it doesn't go well for you so that'd be one I'd love to square up and and, and do things with and I think I could but you know I'm broken down now so it is but that's not a call out that's more of a tip of the cap Marshawn Lynch is the guy man people people will respect him for his style and how he runs and to get one on a guy that good yeah you, you're going to feel good about it so consistency with the new head of discipline uh, I'll touch on this very briefly because I think this is a, a non-issue um be, well, I shouldn't say non-issue. I think this is an issue in in that the the, the penalties have come, kind of been all over the board. But I do think Derek Brooks is a, a a thoughtful guy, a smart guy, a guy that's trying to do the right thing. I I don't like where things are heading though, where it seems as if the formula kind of is is this: if we don't eject you, we still have to do something to you, thereby you get suspended. But if we do remember to eject you, we do call it correctly in the game, then we won't suspend you. If that's the new standard, I don't love it because that's, again, sort of heading back to the Gronk point. Gronk doesn't miss this game if under that same standard he'd have been eject correct, ejected correctly. If he gets ejected, he's probably almost certainly playing this week because that would have been his penalty just as they did with Mike Evans. I assume not Mike Evans, but uh, with uh, A.J. Green. If the injection happens in game, that is the one game, essentially. Uh, and then maybe there's a fine that comes with it as well. But I don't like that the precedent seems to be going this way, that if you don't get ejected, then you'll get suspended. But if you do get ejected, they'll just roll with that. Um, I don't love that. I think the thing that worked against Gronk in his appeal was the Mike Evans one. You know, an, an outside football, an after-the-play thing, going and hitting the Lattimore dude, and he got an auto one. You know, and that's that's that that to me is consistent. That's sort of the, if it happens outside the course of a play, go ahead and suspend him. I don't like the Juju Smith thing, uh, Juju Schuster Smith or Smith Schuster, whatever it is, the the receiver from the from the Steelers. I don't like that getting a suspension. If you want to find him, fine. But what he's doing is a legal block. I don't care that they've now deemed it illegal. What I'm simply saying is that that's not outside the course of a play. It is actually his job to block Vontez Perfect to keep him from flowing to the outside and making the tackle. He blocked him really hard. Sorry. You know, that's as a linebacker, I don't think you have a right to complain about that, really. Head on a swivel, flow is going towards you. You have to turn and look. You have to at least glance to know what's out there. But if you don't and you stare in the backfield and never look, yeah, you're going to get hit by a passing vehicle. That's that's the game. So I don't love that they punish that because, you know, they're going to look and say, oh, is, you know, they did hit the guy's chin. Well, okay, from an inside-out block when a linebacker's flowing hard and hasn't looked, do you want him diving into the side of the guy's ribs? Hell no. If he's framed up anywhere on an area where there's padding, which is basically your mid, mid-arm, your bicep on up to hit pads, pretty likely that the, the head or chin is going to get caught. It is. So, again, I don't like the implication here that if you say it's somehow illegal to air quote blindside block, what they're saying, he does get the right to block the guy. 
do people have to come and stop and stock block him? No. I mean, I don't think there should be rules about how hard you do something. Do it hard. Do it as hard as you possibly can. If the guy gets blown up, he gets blown up. That's the game. I think we need to stop apologizing for hitting people too hard. So, the, the, again, sort of my, my idea here, though, that it's, it's wrong and something we don't want to gravitate towards. We don't want to gravitate towards in, encouraging people to go below the padded areas. Well, that's what this is. If you see the, the Juju Smith, I know I'm butchering the guy's name, the Schuster Smith guy, the Schuster, we'll just call him Schuster, the Schuster <laughs> block. He doesn't want to get fined again. He doesn't want to get suspended again. Do you want him now going sideways into a guy's ribs? You know, because he just doesn't want to take the risk of an upper arm shot that also reaches across and gets a chin. I mean, that's crazy. And if you're moving sideways, the last thing on earth is you want people hitting you where you don't have pads. That's crazy. And again, this actually happened to Jordy Nelson at the end of the year last year. One of those exposed up in the air kind of things. You know, if you, if the defensive back has a choice to go at the ball, but the ball's high, and if he hits the ball and the man at the same time, there's a high likelihood that helmets will get touched and flags will fly. So to avoid that, he dives right through the guy's side. And what's he do? Breaks his ribs. You know, the guys don't want the ribs, ribs broke or, you know, some sort of organ punctured or something or whatever the hell it is. Um, and I, I'm hoping I'm getting that right that he actually broke his ribs or it was some sort of rib injury or whatever. But there's vital organs behind those. And you know what? We actually don't, as football players, have pads over the area where the vital organs are. Generally, the pads sit up on your breastplate, you know, above the heart. And the heart sits below your boobies. You know, the part of it does anyway. You can reach down and feel that. Um, you know, your liver and your, your lungs are up higher, I guess. But a lot of your vitals sit below where the pads hit. So I think it's incredibly stupid to try to encourage people to hit places where there are no pads all in lieu of not hitting a helmet because there's a head inside of it because that's kind of unavoidable. It's just, I don't like the, I just don't, the logic here doesn't work for me and I don't like a gut penalizing a guy for a full game for blocking a guy hard because the head's touched. It is what it is. I have a 0.0 problem with that. Uh, if, you know, if, if he had hit nothing but his head, if he had speared him somehow or actually dove at his knees, that can, that's dangerous from an inside out block. That's different. That's different. This is not that. He just hit him really hard. Sorry. Yes, helmets touch. They, on that same play where Burfecht, Burfecht gets knocked out, look around the rest of the play. A lot of helmets hitting one another because that's football. I just you're never going to convince me on this one. Sorry. So anyway, moving on, um, and I'll try to be a little more brief here because I'm cutting into our our Dolphins time on the back end. Dwayne Allen expect a big role. Can't tell you exactly what it's going to be. Expect him, I think, more in pass pro as a helper on one of the two sides, maybe with Cameron Wake as much as anything. But this is not going to be a big target the tight end week, in my view. He'll be up. Expect, obviously, Dwayne Allen up in a greater role, probably the tight end in 11 sets. In other words, one tight end, three wide receivers, one back. He'll be the guy. He'll be in protection a lot. Maybe he's a late releaser guy, but I expect him to be more in a, in a greater protection role this week. Blocking great like he's been doing. Uh, you know, we now weeding out sort of second level guys on, on run plays and just doing a great job of that. I just think it takes the emphasis away from the tight ends and position this week as far as straight pass targets. Maybe Jacob Hollister gets a, 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 a target or two to try to keep him honest and do some of the same plays they did just with his spot, with him in Gronk's spot. But I think by and large, just expect a de-emphasized tight end spot this week. They're not going to get 10 balls. Just highly doubt it. Philip Dorsett. Uh, there's a question here about what's going on with his contributions. Why is he not contributing more? Why is he not doing more? 
go ahead and count the go ahead and count what else is going on on the roster. The thing that happens that's that's going to always affect stats. And you can just if you're just going to stare at a box score and say, "Good lord, why do you only have one catcher? Why do you only have two catchers? Why do you only have three? You have to remember there's only one football. And and I know that's a, that's a tough conversation to. It just sounds like I'm being snarky, uh, you know, or, or you know, not being. You know, I'm being dismissive of the idea of why does a guy not have more? Well, it's pretty obvious why he doesn't have more because where would he sit in the hierarchy of of pass targets on this particular team? Uh, he's going to be way down the list. There's just no way around it. Even the fact that he was a former first, even the fact that he got traded for Jacoby, all those facts can be true, and you can certainly have wanted him to have more more catches or targets to somehow, you know, uh, I don't know, rationalize the trade or, or, or say that that's what it, well, why it should have happened. He's just not at a team where that makes sense. If you could strip away three or four other options in the offense that weren't there, then you could wonder, in my view, you could wonder out loud why Philip Dorsett doesn't get more balls. But on this offense, with so many other places to go with it, the fact that this guy, as, as we sit here now, he's only got seven catches for 140 yards, but I don't look at that as a failure. I don't look like he's doing something wrong. Uh, he didn't have any receptions, didn't have any targets in the game against Buffalo. Had one reception, one target for a big 39-yard play against the Dolphins. He had none in the Raiders game, no targets or receptions. But he had two against Denver, two receptions, two targets, 16 yards, a move-the-sticks kind of thing. Good. Contributed. Chargers, not needed that week. Didn't have one. You know, he's sitting here right now at seven receptions of the season. We won't be surprised if he's at about 15. Maybe he has a game where he gets three or something at the end. But that's what it is. When you're the fourth or fifth receiver, much less, uh, you know, period offensive target, he's not, he's like the eighth or ninth guy. And that's not a knock on him. That's just the offense you're in. It's going to be Gronk first. It's going to be Cooks next. It's going to be uh, Amendola in that formula. It's going to be Hogan when he's healthy, way ahead of this stuff. Uh, when he's not, then and then you're down to the fourth and fifth spot. And we haven't even talked about the backs, the Burkheads, the James Whites, uh, Deion Lewis even occasionally in, in that in that formula. So there's just more than you. So he's never going to be a, a guy who gets – it makes sense that he's eighth or ninth or whatever it is down that list because that's where he lives in this particular team. The Patriots did not need him to come in and catch 40 balls. They didn't. And I think it's pretty clearly evidenced that way. So what's his? What's going on with him? Well, he's just at the back of a really, really good room. Um, you know, I think he can play, and I think he's proven that. But I don't think he's a guy that they turn to a ton. That's just sort of the nature of this roster. So moving on here to the last couple. Where did book? Where did Cooks go against Buffalo? I kind of had the same thought, and it's I don't want to ever make light of this question because we've been building Brandon up throughout the year, rightfully so. He's having a really nice season. Um, he's had explosive weeks. The the biggest of which was I believe that was at Miami game. Let me pull up the stats here as I'm. As I'm sort of doing this live on the air, um, let's look at him throughout the year. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was the big game. It was the Miami game, six receptions, seven targets, ends up with a touchdown, 83 yards, the biggest of which was actually the Raiders game prior to that. That's what I'm really thinking of. Six catches, nine targets, 149 yards, had the one touchdown. Only targeted three times in the Buffalo game, only got two catches, only 17 yards. Yeah, he did get one rushing attempt for five yards. That was a helpful little play. But, you know, no, not a big week for him. So, again, I wouldn't hyperventilate about that one. Uh, why did he disappear? 
I think the best answer to that is you're talking about a, a McDermott a McDermott defense that's comparable more to the uh, to Carolina, obviously where he came from, where they play a lot of off coverage and they route read. So if you're getting a lot of off, you're usually not going to be able to get the downfield throws, especially off where they have split safeties. So you get off coverage from the corners, which basically is just encouraging low throws. They want the catch and run stuff. And I think in this particular week, this particular game plan, they didn't go catch and run with Brandon. Instead, their catch and run outlets with all the all with all the off coverage went more to the backs. The backs were targeted more, and it also, quite frankly, didn't end up being a big pass game. Period. You know, Brandon just has those two catches, and uh, Danny Amendola had to believe I don't have in front of me a few catches, but not a lot, not a big day. It was just a really low day for the wide receivers as a whole. So I wouldn't look at it as you know, it's not like we're looking at Cooks with two catches on seven targets, like you know that there was a problem on the ones that they didn't go to him, where they just cover him and he couldn't get open now i think just drawing more attention or getting the kind of technique across room where unless you want to go curl routes every time or unless you want to go slants um yeah it just was a choice you have a choice you have a, a choice to make uh you know, where you want to send your attention and this week was big on run game big on tight end um you know and that and big on back targets in the passing game so it was down the list go to miami now again and that most likely changes. So it won't be the same each time. So halftime, they wanted one little insight here, and this is the final thing I'll touch on. A little, uh, what goes on at halftime in these moments where things didn't go your way? You had a bad first half, and I don't know if I would necessarily categorize the, the Patriots' first half as bad. Defensively, I think they were pretty happy with where they were at. But offensively, yeah, they hadn't, they hadn't punched in the end zone as much as I think they had, they had clearly wanted to. So, yeah, there could be some angst about that. But I think more – you have to understand the NFL locker room is more business, uh, especially at halftime because our halftimes are so quick. Fortunately, at Buffalo, you don't have a long ways to go. It's a little bit of a hill up there at the old stadium. Uh, so, you know, you got to kind of walk in cleats up that hill, which I was always a little annoying to me. You don't want to slip and fall. And you're taped up really tightly. So you're, you're, your body's made for being on football fields, not on not on concrete walkways with carpets on them, uh, slippery carpets. But you, you make your way up into the locker room as quickly as you can. Um, the the, 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 the the position coaches, mine, Rob, you know, Rob Ryan or what it was Dean Pease, who was usually down on the field, or Patricia or any of the linebacker helper guys, uh, Pepper Johnson, the biggest, uh, you know, they have got to rush and get pictures down to you guys. Some of them are upstairs. Some of them are on the field. But those guys have got to come up with a quick talking amongst each other what the plan is going to be for the second half. So the question here is more about how does Bill hang, hang handle those situations where maybe it wasn't great and you got to go figure something out. And that's kind of where my major overall point here is it's very corporate. You know, it's not a situation where, you know, there's any yelling and screaming. Uh, it's more just, hey, we have the business of the day to get done really quickly here because we got to get back out there. So we need to show you all the clips of what they're doing to you. And, hey, we keep screwing up this look. Let's drop it. We're not doing that anymore. Or, hey, we're screwing this up in this look. Here's how we have to sort of slightly alter your positioning. One example I would get and give, and I think this actually happened before halftime. It clearly had to have been a sideline adjust. But that first drive that the Patriots had against the Bills, they gave up a lot of edge plays. Uh, so part of, you know, like balls bouncing outside, playing a little too tight, not respecting McCoy's bounce-out ability, not expecting Tyrod's break-the-pocket ability. Uh, not really seeing the run schemes necessarily real quickly. I think outside linebacker was Eric Lee, and I think Van Noy to the other side. But they got cracked down on a couple times where the wide receivers aligned to the outside of you, and 
you got to press and kick the shit out of a, a wide receiver whenever you're a, whenever you're a linebacker. It doesn't even matter if it's a bigger wide receiver. It can be, you know, Mike Evans. It doesn't matter. He's thinner. You should, you should press him back. You should kick his ass. It should be a bobblehead kind of situation. Um, some of the receivers put up good fights, but generally speaking, that's an, a, a fight you should always win and you should get pushed to make the run bubble or either have an edge set. But they got, they got squeezed a couple times there and, and balls bounced out. Just wasn't played great on the edge. But I bring this up in re- relative to a to halftime adjustment adjustment or something like that because in moments like that you never make it to halftime you go to the sideline and they show you those same pictures they otherwise would at half so you hope that anything that that was really an issue on a driver two or three early in the game gets fixed before you ever get into the halftime so halftime can often be a lot of hey let's just uh we're not gonna run cover four anymore we're gonna do one robber we're gonna do two two whatever we're gonna do three with this tag we're gonna do da, 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 whatever it may be and they'll come up with the five or six different things and say, hey you know we came in with this game plan we we're gonna run a lot against this but they're gashing us in this look against that so when the offense comes out in these kind of sets from now on we're not gonna run this we're gonna do it like this and remember to play it like this but my point of this is it's not a lot of Go, 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 rah, rah, rah. We got to kick them in the, you know, it's not that. It's not the, it's not the high school kind of speechy thing. It's like very nuts and bolts. Um, we're no longer going to run this particular game uh, on the edge with our pass rushers because they're, they're sealing it this way and it's hurting us in the run game. So we can't run that for the risk of our pass rush stunts getting overtaken by a run directly into it. Something like that. But, and again, I, I don't want to get into hypotheticals here because we could do a thousand of them. But the, the major point is it's not, Oh my gosh, guys, we practiced so hard and you all sucked it off. You know, those speeches can come later after the game. Halftime is about getting it right. You know, there are occasionally stress moments where it's just dog shit in the first half and people get called out a little bit, but it just has to be brief. You know, guys, there's never, there's never a moment where he's standing up and giving some sort of Bear Bryant speech at half because there's just not time for it. It's usually get in deep with your coordinator uh, and with your position coaches quickly in little side meetings. They put a couple things up on the whiteboard. They show the photos to everyone. You kind of look around in the room and talk amongst the DBs, linebackers, and D-line, make sure we're all kind of on the same page for any new checks that are going to happen. You go out and play the game. The speech speech is or more pre and post than half. All right, let's head now into the Dolphins. We need to hit this, and again, you know them really well, so you don't want to hear me most likely go on and on and on about who these guys are. Um, I, I think... I think you can kind of throw out last week's game against the, the the Broncos. I watched a portion of that, more just a highlight deck of the things that went well and went wrong. I wasn't going to go coaches copy all 22 that game because I think it's so dissimilar to to what the Patriots provide. So I think in part for me, it was more it was more helpful and instructive to go back and watch the last Patriots game and say, hey, this is what did not work for them. This is what they'll probably not try to do and just do it better. The whole insanity thing, try to just do something that didn't work better this time. That's That's probably not what they're going to do. They could not establish a run game, even though the stats may tell you otherwise. They got behind early and weren't able to front run with clock controlling run game. And that's never where the Dolphins want to be. The issue is, though, they're not, I believe they're not having Damian Williams. I don't think he's going to be available for this one. He's banged up, so it's going to be Kenyon Drake. Drake is an interesting little guy because I say little, I mean, he's big in, in life and on the planet Earth, but he's not big in football circles. This is not a thicker, heavier dude. He's a. I don't know. I hate calling a guy a third down back just because he's a little smaller. Clearly, Deion Lewis has blown that idea up. But Kenyon Drake is more of a slasher, explosive, home run hitter, not a traditional, you know, Jonathan Stewart, you know, heavy back in Carolina plow through things. Not even like J.H.I., right? Who they were willing to give up on because they had Kenyon Drake and they like Williams. But Lent Williams is out, most likely. 
and Drake gives you the explosive stuff. Um, and, you know, go back and watch, uh, if you get a chance, our Patriots This Week show this week. Zoe does a good job of, of doing his, uh, the Zoe show, as he calls it. And he breaks down a couple runs, a few runs, I believe, of Kenyon Drake. And you see there's some, there's some, you know, get caught in the wash, and then this guy pops out the other end of the car wash. And it's like, oh, wow, okay, that guy can do some stuff. Um, so, you know, you can see the ability that's there. Are you going to this game worried about Kenyon Drake rushing for 150? Probably not. Had a big game uh, recently. Um, but... You know, I think they're down to one man, sort of a one man run game thing that they got to pull off because they've had an injury and a and a big trade. So the running back group, they need them to shine. The Patriots have to hold that portion down, not get into a situation where they're down a score or more, and it ain't in ju- in Jay Cutler's hand every snap. You want it in Jay's hand every snap. You know, you want the turnovers. So uh, again, the the themes that come out of Denver, but that may not be schematically relevant, is. They won in a blowout, 35 to 6 or whatever. I don't have the score in front of you, but 35, a big 30 to a, a single nothing to Denver, who's just tanking is the wrong word, but they're sinking. Denver's just not the threat that we, that we always remember in, in, in recent years. But the things that crept up that you cannot do against the Patriots, even though it's a really nice win for you against the, the, the Broncos, they won by that big of a margin, and Jay Cutler still threw two picks. Um, Jay obviously didn't play in the previous game with the Patriots. That was a game that uh, that Matt Moore started. And I think for me, it's sort of a coin toss. Both those guys can do some things. Uh, the Patriots had a ton of sacks in that game where they got up and they were able to sort of release the hounds a little bit in pass situations. And I think that's where there is actually a little similarity. I'd almost call Matt Moore more mobile than Jay. But Jay is a guy who's very sackable. If we, if you know, sort of make up a term there. So if you get a score early, you get up seven, you get up 10, you get up maybe even two scores, take the ball out of the back's hands and let Jay sling it 30 plus times. Advantage Patriots a hundred times over. Um, you know, again, as I mentioned, he threw two picks in a game they won in a blowout fashion. Why? Because the other guy, Trevor Simeon, on the other team had three. Uh, so, you know, you're not going to get three interceptions from Tom Brady. I think we can all safety, safely predict that this weekend. That said, we know that, you know, as much as people wanted to talk about Denver as some sort of house of horrors, Miami, there's a real uneven history down there as well. Some some years where the Patriots are flying and going everything going their way and things look great and you end up in a tougher fight than you expect. Uh, or maybe they do expect it. I mean, they have a high respect for it there internally, but I'm just saying maybe than fan perception or even national perception uh, of, of, of what goes down there. Uh, I won't be surprised if it ends up in a super close game. And that's just because the difficulty of going back to their place with the familiarity of just two weeks ago. Some sort of screws tighten sort of game plan that gets them to where they want to go, at least to keep them in punching range. Uh, so I won't be surprised if it you know it's, it goes that route. I think on Patriots this week with Zoe and Bob Soshi, I did pick it bigger, though. I think I picked like 31-10. So, I, again, that's me kind of guessing that the offense has a week back. This will be an expanded target everyone spread football week maybe not as much running the football i could be dead wrong on that but i still think it's really tough to keep the patriots under 30 it happens in a week before i think this is an opportunity to go back down and just feast on that miami secondary um but again we'll see where it goes that's that's just my thought um the thing I do love, 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 love that we found out two weeks ago is how the Patriots secondary, and it's now healthier, matches up against the Miami group. It's a good group of receivers. If you watched any of that, you know, under the hood or whatever the hell they call it, the stuff for the, the sound FX or whatever, where they have guys mic'd up. I don't know if it's NFL Network or 
ESPN or Fox or whoever does that. But I do remember seeing clips after that Miami game where Belichick was talking on the sideline and kept repeating and emphasizing, where's Landry? We got to get Landry. We got him. Where was Landry? You know, and that means that, that their emphasis on not just how they cover him, but that he's always covered. In other words, he's drawing extra attention, which probably means a double or a safety. Uh, safety rolling down and giving extra attention, a chip from an end, uh, you know, a drop from linebacker hitting on him extra to aid the other person who's actually got him in coverage. High focus, high focus, high focus. Now, I, I think that'll be the case again. I think nothing changes. So maybe that's a little bit, uh, you know, uh, naive of me. Uh, but I, I personally don't remember a situation like this. Bob Soshi, actually, Bob, Bob corrected me on this. I tried to make the point in the show that I don't remember ever in my career, uh, you know, ever having a division foe two weeks away, you know, play him, play somebody else, play him again. I don't remember that happening. He said uh, that we had that happen with Indianapolis years ago, back when Indianapolis was in the AFC East. And that's the only other time apparently it happens. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't remember that, but whatever. But it does put you in a weird situation game plan wise, because you're not going to, your team hasn't changed that much in two weeks. Usually when you go with a massively different approach, it's because you've learned other stuff about yourself. You've expanded your packages or shrunk them. You now have a, you know, different way to attack people if you've learned that some ways don't work need to be shit canned um, I don't know if that's the case in just 14 days you know seven days between the actual game plan implementation so when one ends and the next one has to begin again so it's, it's weird I don't I don't expect Miami to be able to say oh screw everything we did in that game and let's try you know 60 plays of different defense calls and 60 different offensive calls. That's it's not like it's not likely. So anyway, I, I think the matchup that I love that I was getting into there before I get a little distracted was was the idea that they match up well with Landry. You really have a nice possibility there to use Malcolm and his hyper uh, competitiveness on the ball with a similar type body. Neither of the guys are burners. They're both really strong, good ball skills. I like that matchup, and then adding in an extra an extra set of eyes, whether it be a linebacker or a safety, taking off a half of that, something to uh, to help with Landry. Because wiping him off the board takes you a long ways towards a victory defensively, anyhow. Um, and then I love, love, love the Devontae Parker matchup with Stephon Gilmore. Gilmore's really been raising his game. He's becoming the player that everyone expected him to be. He's the taller, longer wide receiver. Parker's the taller, longer, I'm sorry, he's the taller, longer defensive back. Parker's the taller, longer receiver. And for whatever reason, uh, since Parker has come back from this earlier season injury he had, he really hasn't established himself as what I thought people were going to be. And that's what sucks when you, you kind of lose camp momentum. You know, you're, you're, you're peaking, you're doing great, you have a couple good games early, you think this is going to be sort of a crescendo kind of year, rising, rising, rising is something really big for you. And it gets interrupted by an injury and you come back and they emphasize you, they practice hard with you, but you never quite get reintegrate in the offense where you wanted to be. So I think Gilmore wipes him off the mat, can 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 win most of those matchups, and that's a good matchup for you. Which leaves you to Kenny Stills. And Kenny is needs to be talked about a lot because Kenny keeps having these hundred yard games. He Kenny keeps doing a lot of really good stuff. I think I don't have it in front of me, but I recall something like over twenty yards per, per catch or around twenty yards per catch against against Denver. And he kind of fits that mold. He's the smaller, he's not a tall receiver. He's not much different, I think, in stature or size from from Jarvis Landry, but he's been the big play guy. So you know you could it'll be Bottomosi or it could be Rowe or it could be Jonathan Jones, any number of those guys drawing him, and with safety help or 
basically the the whole of the defense remembering to stay on top of that. I think it's you know the formula doesn't really change much from two weeks ago. It's just those are the people you have to defend them defend, and I think you have the right people to do so. And you get to go with it now against a quarterback who likes to give it up. Patriots have been taking the ball off people lately, and uh, I, I see this as being a pretty high turnover day for Jay Cutler. Uh, or at least a high sack day. He's a guy you can get down. He won't be able to escape any better than Matt Moore did. So Patriots with a lead, get to unleash the hounds and go after Jay Cutler, a guy who likes to make mistakes. Not likes to, but but tends to. Um, defensively, uh, I'm sorry, offensively against that Dolphins defense, I, I touched on this a little bit. Obviously, in the absence of Gronk, I think yeah, obviously you got to expect Dwayne Allen on the field almost every snap. Maybe as a protector and run blocker more than it is a target in the passing game. If he is a target in the passing game, I'm guessing more as a chip than release or a late outlet or a quick quick out kind of thing. Sit on the sticks kind of deal. Uh, move him around from each side of the formation to help tackles at different times and different points or to chip or pick a blitz. Let's pick up from corners off the edge, things like that, to block the double-team stuff edge with Solder or with Fleming or Waddle, whoever we get to the other tackle spot, or Cannon. I don't know if he's close to being back, but whatever it is, I think Allen has a big role, but it's probably not going to be a go-catch-the-balls that Gronk would, obviously. I mean, that's that's an easy prediction to make. Uh, the other thing, though, is I'm kind of erring towards a game plan that's pretty receiver heavy uh, for the reason that the Patriots have put together a stretch of really good, you know, at least two big games where they run the crap out of the ball. I think Miami's probably going to come in with this idea that that didn't go well for us that time. We need to toggle front. We need to change our approach. We need to maybe box pack to try to take away the run. We can't be giving up six-yard runs to Deion Lewis on first down. We can't be giving up eight, nine-yard chunks to Deion Lewis. We can't have screen stuff with with James White where they start second and two, you know, because they hit on a screen. They hit on a check down. They got him four yards of freebie stuff right off the bat. We can't have Rex Burkhead out here running angle routes or scoring every single time we enter the red zone. We can't have him having catch flat routes. I mean, I think a lot of the Miami, just a guess, but a lot of the Miami focus is going to go into – doing everything they can to wipe the back production away, which means maybe chipping them, giving up on some of your pass rush or rush with Wake. It's hard to do that because he's so good at it, but maybe just overcommitting and saying, screw this, we're not letting these backs get out in the pattern. We're going to chip them with the ends. We're going to make Brady hold the ball for five, six seconds and then have to go into a third or fourth or fifth read. Uh, because if you're going to just concede the backs and let Rex Burkhead and let Dion, uh, you know, get a thinner box against a six and nickel or something like that, or let Burkhead get out space in a nickel uh, defensive kind of look or let let uh, James White you know get handoffs on draws wherever you know, the pass rushers are out in wide nines way wide of the tackle trying to make plays that plays in the Patriots hands so if there was a flip of script it may be more box concentration get seven in there every time maybe even get eight at points and see if Brady without his Chris Hogan without Malcolm Mitchell you know we're, we're still not knowing as I'm doing the show whether or not or when when those guys are going to be back but I think that's your best. Uh, your your best guess is that they'll over they'll overcompensate to try to whatever they can do take away back production through the run game and pass game, and have this turn into a game of Brady versus his receivers and DBs versus their DBs. So I I'm predicting a relatively big day for Danny Amendola. I think Danny shows up a lot around the sticks. Some of these big breaking off play action plays, the deep crosses, deep overs, deep end cuts, deep re- return stuff. Uh, I think it could be a big day for Danny. I really do. Brandon Cooks could be solid. 
solid as well, but I think they'll maybe send more coverage to him because he's the more obvious thing, which might create some more single spots for Danny. And, and he, I, I, I would guess that he eats that alive. Maybe it's a week where Phil, Philip Dorsett does get more involved. You know, who knows? But they're going to have to make a decision. Uh, in the absence of Gronk, does that mean they completely abandon twelve sets, uh, two tight end personnel stuff with just one back, and uh, or do they, you know, have some Hollister plays where Hollister's in there with uh, with with Dwayne Allen still trying to do a facsimile and the ball just doesn't go to them, but they run the route and soak up coverage while Brady sends it elsewhere. We'll find out. I don't know, but I think it's going to be fun to watch. So that's the end of the Real Thing Patriots podcast this week. Uh, a real just brief touch on the Bills. A big chunk of time spent looking through your Twitter questions. And I, you know, I don't do that every week, but I love doing it this week. I had a little more time with my college football season being over uh, to dive a little deeper into your questions. And I like doing that from time to time. So keep coming at them with me or coming at me with them. Keep them creative. I enjoy them. Obviously, you're, you've hopefully seen from what I talked about today that I'm willing to veer off the just nuts and bolts path and talk about other stuff. Um, but that's all immaterial, all of a little bit lesser importance than the game against the Dolphins. I know it takes a little of the juice out of it. Uh, citrus juice, I said. Uh, citrus bowl. Uh, that's, that's a stupid joke. Uh, anyway, but heading down to Miami, a little bit of juice gone because it was such an abysmal performance by them up here. So it doesn't you know, strike fear in anyone now. They're going to play the Dolphins. I just remember a couple weeks ago, the Patriots handled them pretty easily up here. So um, it's harder to get charged up for it. I can kind of get that. The whole squish the fish thing from back in the days. It's nice to hate them expect some nastiness they don't like each other you know it's down there in south florida um with an entirely different environment than any other road trip they'll take this year especially if the patriots go on a long run this was the last time they'll see anything that's 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 warm you know a road game in pittsburgh a couple home games in new england in late december and then the playoffs begin most likely they're going to be home here and then in the end of the thing if you're fortunate enough to make get to the Super Bowl or in your way there, you're playing in Minneapolis. So this is probably the last time a guy's going to get a play in any modicum of worth. Of worth. So it's going to happen. Enjoy it. But enjoy this game. It'll be fun. It's always fun to see these two rivals go at one another, and it's particularly fun for me as a as a former Patriot to, to continue to keep the Dolphins down. But have fun with this game. Thank you, as always, for continuing to be a listener of the show. Share it. Spread the gospel. Love doing the Real Thing Patriots podcast for you folks take care and talk at you another time bye-bye now thanks for listening to the football by football podcast football insight by football players hi lucky hi dusty good night ned good night ned good night ned with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.